All right. Welcome back to the Bookly Podcast. I mentioned a couple weeks ago that this episode was going to be the first... Oh, what, what did I call it? The first random guest episode where I had you know somebody that I didn't know previously on the podcast, and that fell through. So you guys get to listen to me again do a solo episode. And this has been my problem from the get-go with getting guests on the podcast. It's just so hard to get people to commit to the podcast, actually read the book, and then come on with me and discuss it. I've had you know quite a few people fall through, and I'm still hoping to maybe have this guy on the podcast. He reached back out and just said that he had a scheduling conflict and wasn't able to record it this week. Unfortunately, this episode is coming out on Wednesday, so I didn't have a whole lot of leeway time as far as recording goes, so maybe we might pick another book moving forward. I was kind of excited to have this person on the podcast, though, because he was actually an author who had written a, what would you call that, like a military fiction book, Uh, you know, so he kind of came from the same background as Tom Clancy did. And he, I don't know. So he would have been a really good guest. And so I'm a little bit bummed that he's not here. However, I did a lot of research on this book and still think that this is going to be a pretty good episode with a lot to learn from and a lot to go over with, um, with regards to this week's book, which is The Hunt for Red October. And I want to preface this also by saying that I chose every book that I chose, I had never seen the movie for. So if there are any books later on in the, throughout the year where there's a pretty popular movie out, I've never seen it. So like I know I have Rambo coming up. And I know I have The Godfather coming up um, this year. Both of those never seen. Uh, we already read. What was the other one? Oh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Never seen that movie either. And so there are a lot of really popular movies that, I don't know, somehow I've just missed over the years. And so I just want to preface that with with I've never seen it. So I went into this book not knowing anything about, I mean, really the plot or anything about it. And I will say I was pretty entertained I've heard from a lot of people that the movie is very slow. I mean, it's a pretty old movie. I want to say it was made in the early 90s. I know it has like a a super young Alex Baldwin that plays Jack Ryan. And then you've also got Sean Connery, who plays kind of the main Russian submarine pilot, which is interesting to me that James Bond plays a Russian guy. I don't know. I don't know if I'm the only one that finds that interesting. But yeah, so I had never seen the movie. So so that being said, I did really enjoy this book, The Hunt for Red October. Although the entire time I was just kind of comparing it to the Jack Carr series. um, What's his name? James Reese, um, the Terminal List series. And it was hard for me because of how much I enjoyed the Jack Carr series Um, We will be reading this year one of Jack Carr's books, his latest or his newest one comes out, I think in two months and we read it the week after it comes out because of how much I really, really enjoy those books. The Jack Carr books were really some of the first 
fiction books that I had read in probably, I mean, I think they were some of the first fiction books that I had read kind of starting off again, coming back into reading. And it really is, I, I will say, I mean, the Jack Carr books were definitely some of the books that got me back interested in reading. It was kind of what developed that that initial spark for fiction books and where I found out that, you know, you can actually just enjoy books. They don't have to be purely educational. And so because those books were, I don't know, I don't want to say like so close to me, but I mean, honestly, they are. They're, they are what started me getting back into reading. The entire time, I just found myself making comparisons back and forth between the Jack Carr series and this book. And I know that's a little bit... I don't know, a little bit unfair given that I grew up in kind of a post, post Cold War era. So the Cold War doesn't feel as real to me as a lot of the issues that surround the Jack Carr books feel. I mean, his latest book, or I don't want to, I don't know if it's his latest book or the one before that kind of deals with, you know, a super virus. And so, you know, growing recently with the whole COVID side of things, like that one felt way more real to me. Whereas this book definitely felt a little bit removed. And so if you were somebody who maybe didn't live through the Cold War or don't, I don't, don't really have a great appreciation for it or haven't done a lot of research or isn't really a history buff, I could see why this book wouldn't be super thrilling. In addition to kind of the the setting of The Hunt for Red October, it's also Jack, or what's his name? Tom Clancy. Sorry, I completely got that wrong. It is Tom Clancy's first book. So it's his first book that he ever wrote. And you can kind of tell, I don't want to be, I mean, it's, I don't really want to criticize the book because again, it's, a wildly successful book. I mean, it sold millions and millions. I want to say somebody said somewhere around like 50 million copies of this book. It was on the New York Times bestseller list. I want to say for 17 weeks, I think is what I put it on here. Um, I mean, it was crazy. So it's a wildly, wildly successful book. I mean, it was so successful that the president of the United States said like, this is a good book. You should read this book. Anytime there's a fiction book that comes out and the president is like, hey, this is a this is a fine piece of literature. You should pick it up. Um, you know, it means that it was a good book. However, there are some things in it where I feel like, yeah, it's Tom Glancy's first book. You know, it, I think it almost felt like he was too worried about making technical mistakes because I think the only thing that I really knew about Tom Clancy going into this book was one that he wrote a ton of books and that he has a lot of ghostwriters that still write a ton of books for him and they pump out quite a few books. The Tom Clancy, I would say, what is that? The Tom Clancy empire pumps out books and video games. That's all I knew going into this. And then on top of that, I knew that he was super technical, which is why people like him. Um, he does a ton of research and he wants to make sure that everything that pertains to kind of like military history or military equipment, military technology, military strategy is very, very, very accurate, which is interesting coming from a guy who had no military experience. On one hand, you've got, you know, Jack Carr, who, who again, I mentioned, I really, really enjoy his books, who was 
you know, a former Navy SEAL. He kind of, you know, walked the walk and he experienced a lot of that, you know, lingo, a lot of the kind of, a lot of the training, a lot of the just background that goes into writing a book like that. And then you have Tom Clancy who, um, doing a little bit of research. I mean, just a little bit about his background here. Let me pull it up. Tom Clancy graduated with a Bachelor of Arts um, in English Literature in 1969 with a 1.9 GPA at Loyola College. So if you're struggling to keep your GPA up, GPA up, there is hope. And he tried to join the Army Reserve Officer Training Corps, although he was found ineligible due to you know his eyesight and how bad. His eyesight was, at the time, there was not really a whole lot that you could do with that. Um, there was no LASIK or anything like that. So he was, you know, found ineligible, and then he actually just got a job in insurance, and he was an insurance broker for a while until he wrote his first book, The Hunt for Red October, which is funny because I do a lot of insurance as well. I managed to get, I mean, that's one of the things that I have you know, been working on over the past couple of years. So reading that, it was kind of funny that, you know, he found himself in a job that, you know, it's a, it's a good career. However, it wasn't what he wanted to do. And he was still able to kind of work on the side for what he eventually wanted to do, which was, you know, really work with military and with literature, which, I mean, it says from a very young age, from everything that I've read from a very young age, he was just absolutely fascinated with military, specifically the Navy. And then obviously getting a degree in English literature, he had, you know, a love for, for reading and writing. So he wrote The Hunt for Red October. That was his first book. It actually was self-published before it was picked up, I believe by, it was like a, it's almost like a military printing. I can't remember. I don't think I took notes on exactly where it was picked up from. Um, but I mean, seriously, whoever picked up the hunt for Red October, you uh they hit a gold mine there picking that up and and eventually publishing that because I want to say so it went self-published and then they did a first edition of like twenty thousand. And I think by the second edition they did like a fifty million print or something like that, twenty million print copies of on his second edition. It was crazy. So um, but yeah, it, it originally went self-published. And so that was all, all of that background was essentially to say that he didn't come from a, you know, a military background. He didn't come from, I mean, he didn't spend time on naval ships. He didn't have any sort of, you know, naval warfare background. He had a literature background and a love for military history, uh, military technology, and specifically the Navy. And so because of that, I felt like he was so worried about getting every single little thing correct. Like he wanted it to be so realistic that it almost sacrificed some of the story and some of the character development uh, because he was worried about the part that he didn't have any experience with. You know, I feel like that that's very true for a lot of people. Like, so if you have... If you have a skill deficiency, sometimes as an individual, you kind of hyper focus on that deficiency and it almost takes away from your 
from your actual skills because you're so worried and worried and worried about you know what you don't do right that the things that, that you don't allow your your actual talents and your actual skills to flourish and i think this is a perfect example of that because although he didn't have the background he did have a background in writing and it just didn't come forth in this book the way that i would have expected and from what i've read for online with reviews and you know people who are you know mega tom clancy fans um it comes across in a lot of his later novels like he gets much better at kind of the character development following characters and this book it just wasn't quite there there were almost too many characters and too many like there was it was like just for anybody who hasn't read it it was like introduce a character short one page backstory as to you know what who this character was and then it would the character would be in the story for like i don't know two minutes and he would perform one action and then it would move to a different character and then he'd write a whole backstory for that character that character would be in it for like one minute and then it would move to the next character and it would be this giant backstory about that character and then it would move you know it just there were too many characters that tried to be too too developed that I felt like the main characters, which were Jack Ryan and the um, submarine guy, which was, I can't remember his name. Why can't I remember his name? I will, I will get his, it'll, it'll come up eventually in some of my notes, but, um, and then the Russian submarine guy, he would, those two were, not very developed and so well i guess i take that back their backstories were developed but them as characters didn't do a whole lot to move the story forward and that was my biggest gripe with the book other than that it was a really cool premise it was it was easy i mean it was it was a fun story i felt like it was incredibly researched. So if you are a history buff or you are, you really like military technology, especially submarines. I mean, there was so much that went over my head personally because I don't know nearly enough about submarines to really grasp everything in this book, I felt like. Then, you know, this, this could be, you know, this could be a 10 out of 10 book for you because of how well it was researched and, you know, how realistic the... I don't know, the, the plot was developed. So I felt like that was, that was really, really, really cool. And I, it makes me understand why people love, love, love this book. Because, you know, if you're looking for something a little bit deeper and you have a, you know, a good base understanding of all of this stuff, then this book really does dive, I mean, I guess pun intended, dive deep into kind of submarine cold war efforts and cold war history submarine just submarine history in general and you know cold war tensions it really builds kind of that that cold war feeling really really well but if you are just a casual reader somebody you know like myself who maybe doesn't have a huge background in in you know russian Cold War tactics or military tactics or um, just the Cold War in general, I, then it almost felt like this book was too much for me. It wasn't enough 
fiction, if that makes sense. Like when I read a fiction book, I kind of want it to be fiction. I want it to be a story that kind of takes me, I don't know, allows me to like fill in the gaps and imagine and, and everything like that. And this book doesn't really do that because it it's so descriptive that it doesn't give you, it, it almost feels real, which again, it depends on what you're looking for, but that's not really what I went into this book looking for. I went into this book looking for more of like a, a fictional story with, you know, these, you know, a main protagonist, a main antagonist, and just, you know, like this, I mean, just like the books, I don't know. That's a lot for me to say that my expectations in this book just didn't align. And so sometimes when I feel like, I feel like when expectations for books are different than the actual outcome of the book, it can, it can have an effect on how you feel about the book, even though the book's not bad. Again, the book was really, really good. Obviously the hunt for red October is a very, very good book and it's incredibly popular and it's had a, you know, a large cultural impact both, you know, during the time that it was written and then, you know, through the, you know, subsequent movies. I mean, I know that it was the start of the, you know, kind of the Jack Ryan side of things for Tom Clancy. I mean, he introduced Jack Ryan as a character. And then since then, I mean, who, I mean, who played Alec Baldwin played Jack Ryan in this movie. Then you have Harrison Ford played Jack Ryan. Um, you had who else? Chris Pine played Jack Ryan. And then just recently the Amazon series, John Krasinski played Jack Ryan. So, I mean, the impact of this book was pretty significant. I mean, it brought forth probably one of the more significant, you know, espionage characters in you know, modern culture. I mean, you have James Bond, obviously, is probably numero uno as far as important espionage figures. But I mean, honestly, Jack Ryan could be up there as far as just overall culturally important, culturally impactful espionage characters. And so again, this book was, this big book was good, but expectations and reality just didn't align for me while reading this book. So just wanted to outline that a little bit here at the very beginning, but I did skip over the introduction to this book. So I do want to read it for those of you who have been listening so far and are still a little bit confused as to what the hunt for red October is. I'm going to read the summary of the book. So it is somewhere under the freezing Atlantic, a Soviet sub commander has just made a fateful decision. The red October is heading West. The Americans want her. The Russians want her back. The chase for highly advanced nuclear submarine for the highly advanced nuclear submarine is on. And there's only one man who can find her. Brilliant CIA analyst, Jack Ryan has little interest in field work, but when covert photographs of the red October land on his desk, Ryan soon finds himself in the middle of a high stakes game of hide and seek played by two world powers, a game that could end in all out war. So it always amazes me. Always, always, always amazes me how book descriptions can sound completely different than the actual book itself. Um, we've had quite a few books on the bookly podcast like that, but again, this one, I mean, cat and mouse game, high stakes game, hide and seek. I don't know that I would call this game or this book a high stakes game of hide and seek. It was really more of a really, really detailed explanation of how submarines work and how submarine warfare has developed over the years and why submarines played an important part in the Cold War and 
how the U.S. used different ships and submarines to basically protect against nuclear threats. That's it. As far as Jack Ryan's role in this book, pretty minimal. I mean, he's definitely pretty important in the very beginning. There's probably two-thirds of the book in the middle that he is not even in at all. He is not mentioned once in the middle two-thirds section of the book. And then at the very end, he's also mentioned again. So when I say that the characters just weren't very developed, that's what I'm talking about. Um, in the Amazon show, Jack Ryan, I love the character Jack Ryan because he's an analyst, but he's also, you know, kind of actively involved and, in, you know, he's not, I don't know, he's not the Navy SEAL team that's busting down the doors, but he's always there trying to collect intel and think about things and break things down. And he's kind of in the center of all of the action always because he puts himself in the center of all of the action, which as a character, I actually enjoyed in this book he is basically shuttled off to a ship because of kind of, again, he finds these pictures. He takes them to somebody um, within the CIA, Greer, and then he's shuttled off into a ship and just forgotten about until the very end. And so it's just the character Jack Ryan, I just felt like wasn't as involved in the story as I was really hoping that he would be. So again, just a little bit of complaining there about Jack Ryan. I just wanted him to be more. I wanted him to really be an active role in this book. And he just wasn't. He was an analyst who found something. And then at the very end, he was an analyst who, I don't know, met with the, uh, the Russians in the submarine. And I will say that the best character in this book is definitely the Russian, um, the Russian submarine captain. I wish that I had his name here. I'm sure it's in my notes here and it's going to kill me because I'm going to get through this whole thing. And then it's going to be at the very bottom of my notes. Actually, it's not, I have no idea where it is in this notes, but I know I wrote it down at some point and it's going to kill me. But, but yeah, he was definitely the best character in this book. He had the most development. He had the best kind of motives and backstory in this book. And if there was any kind of piece of this book that I really, really, really enjoyed, it was him as a character, the captain of the red October. You can really, I mean, Tom Clancy does a great job of really dissecting kind of his motivations behind defecting um, his thought process and how he, um, you know, how he, convinces, you know, minimal people on the ship to defect and then how he uses deception to convince the rest of the crew to go along with his plans without knowing. I mean, he was just a very, very good character that had a lot of depth to him and also, you know, played a big role. So I think had they really focused on him as a character and Jack Ryan as a character and kind of made them kind of like two, because again, the, the plot of this book is you've got this, this ship, the Red October, that's trying to defect because there are a few members of the of the uh, commanding staff that want to defect because they've basically lost, they've been disillusioned by Russia, and so then they have to try to sneakily get this submarine ship to America and give it to the Americans as kind of a peace offering for them to defect. At the same time, there's all this intelligence kind of going back and forth between Russia 
and the United States as to kind of the motivations between um, some of these key players and kind of where the ship is and how to how to acquire the ship if you're the United States and if you're Russia, how to destroy the ship so that none of these defectors can get away. And so it's kind of this this whole process in there. And I I just wish that Jack Ryan had kind of been like that that counterpoint the entire time where, you know, you have one person trying to find America, one person trying to find the ship and they just I don't know, they were they were both working towards it. Whereas I felt like Jack Ryan just never really grabbed hold of that rule. And I've said that quite a few times now on this podcast episode, but that was my biggest gripe about the whole book. So just as a little bit of a explanation behind the story though, because there were some things that I did find interesting when doing some research about the book. So the hunt for red October was originally based on a true story and not a true story with a submarine, but he kind of took an event um, from history and then wrote about it. And when I figured that out, I thought that was kind of a, and that's a really smart way to write your first book. So, you know, somebody who wants to get into kind of a, a military background history fiction book, I've always, you know, I've kind of thrown around the idea of, you know, if I wanted to write a book, what would I even write about? And it's so hard to think of something to write about. I don't know if anybody listening to this has ever thought about writing a book, but it's really difficult to come up with a story and a topic and everything like that. And so I thought it was really interesting the way that he kind of took a story and then just kind of took key aspects of the story and then molded it to himself. So, and his own story took it, kind of made it his own. So the original story that Tom Clancy drew inspiration from was actually a mutiny aboard a Soviet frigate in 1975. And so the mutiny was led by the ship's captain, similar to the book with the hunt for Red October. And he wanted, he basically, just like the captain, had become pretty disenfranchised with the Russian political system and the amount of corruption and he instead of running away and and this is kind of where tom Clancy makes the story his own in the hunt for red october he takes his he you know he has command of his his vessel which is the submarine and he tries to um defect to the united states in this in real life what happens to this um this Soviet frigate, he decides that he wants to basically position his ship in a way that can kind of have maximum influence over, I can't remember, um, Leningrad, I think is the name of the city. Um, And he was going to broadcast a nationwide address to uh, all of the people that were, that would basically be listening Um, and in that address, in the address, he was going to say that he believed that there was that socialism and that Russia were being taken advantage of and that the ruling authorities, you know, were basically corrupt as they come, that there were just lies and stealing and theft going on and that the country was being basically 
destroyed by the the leading party there and that the original idea of um you know socialism had been completely thrown out the window for just this awful regime of communism that had been taken um taken into effect by kind of originally Vladimir Lenin so that was the goal of this captain and so he goes to his his leading whatever they're called their commanders their you know their officers i think that's what they're called so they're officers within the within the ship and they have a vote and the vote is split eight seven eight in favor of mutiny and seven that say no we don't want to be you know involved in any of this so they take the seven people and they lock them up and then they go to the um, and this was, you know, very similar again to the hunt for red October. So he goes and he has a select, he doesn't even have all of the officers. He has a select group of officers that he also, you know, knows want to defect. And so it's all this, you know, it's this balancing act between trying to, you know, keep people in the know, but also, you know, not, not, I guess fall prey to the people who don't want to defect. And so, you know, it, it's very similar to the situation. And then kind of the biggest difference though, between the actual book and this real life example or this real life event was that in the real life event, the officers eventually go to the entire crew and tell them their plan. And the entire crew ends up you know, going with them or most of the crew, some of them still have to be locked up, but a lot of the crew ends up going with them and saying that they want to do it. Um, and then somebody ends up getting off of the boat and warning the, um, the rush or the Soviet government about it. And then the Soviet government ends up using a, let me find it, a Soviet Marine, a group of Soviet Marine commandos um, to basically overthrow this coup and arrest and you know take prisoner for all of the people who had tried to tried to broadcast this message to Russia. So it ended up being unsuccessful. Um, and so Tom Clancy takes kind of this story of these kind of disenfranchised Russians, these people who are taking over this, this boat and he makes it his own, makes those changes, turns it into submarines. He, you know, excludes all of the crew and it ends up being a successful story where, you know, these people are, um, are able to, um, desert Russia and, and, you know, become defect to America. So, it was just interesting to me. I thought that that was a really cool way to write your first book. And, you know, for anybody out there who may be struggling to come up with ideas and, you know, come up with different you know, topics to write about, maybe look through history at some, you know, maybe lesser known events throughout history and try to pick one apart and make it your own. So I thought that was, that was really neat a way of starting off his writing career. Now, one of the things that I thought the book did very well was kind of establish this anti-Russia Cold War feeling in the book. And I think that that's why, you know, like I said earlier, 
there were a lot, there were a couple US presidents that were like, you should read this book. This is a great book. And one of the US, I think two US presidents did that. And, you know, it's kind of the, the most famous one was Ronald Reagan, um, who mentions the book as one of his favorite novels of all time. And I think it it is because it really does encapsulate that that Cold War fear of Russia, kind of that constant threat of nuclear disaster and nuclear fallout, in addition to kind of the the idea of kind of a a broken and fallen apart society due to the effects of communism. And I'm sure a little bit of this is definitely anti-communist propaganda. I'm not trying to say that communism was good in any any stretch of the imagination. I mean, communism, communism has never worked in the history of the world, and it definitely didn't work for Russians from, you know, the Soviet, or I guess not Russians, the Soviet Union from 1945 to, you know, 1991 during the history of the Soviet Union. Communism definitely did not work for them. However, the book is definitely a, I mean, definitely uses that kind of patriotic, kind of anti-communism feeling to promote kind of American values. And as kind of somebody who is patriotic, I thought that that was really cool and really neat and I, I enjoyed it. But it is important also to note that, you know, that that definitely is a message within the book. And I think that's most... Um, and, and I think that could definitely be probably some people's critiques of the book as well. So, you know, if you're not somebody who's very patriotic, and I know that patriotism definitely lacks in modern society, but if you're not somebody who is, you know, proud of, of what the United States have, has created, you know, proud of kind of the value system created in the United States and all of the progress that has been built by the United States, then I could see somebody getting to the end of this book and being very... I don't know, very kind of disgusted with it. However, I think it's important also to understand the purpose behind it. I mean, the purpose, this book was written in, let's see, this book was written in 1984. So it was still before the fall of the Soviet Union. So we were still in kind of the Cold War era. Um, and I think it it is important that you know, Tom Clancy took some time to really try to, I don't know, try to promote that kind of America over everything ideal and over and America, you know, America's the greatest and, and everything that America had, had built. And he does that very well at the very end of the book when kind of the, so for those of you who haven't read it or haven't watched the movie, again, I don't know if the movie's true to the book, but in the book, the there's a plan to get all of the crew members that don't want to defect off of the boat and send them back to Russia. And so all of the crew members are, you know, basically saved from the ship that has been that is supposed to explode. Um, although the ship doesn't explode because it's yeah, you'll have to read the book to understand it. But yeah, the ship is made to look like it's going to explode by the people who are defecting um, in order to cause panic so that all of those people who you know don't want to defect can 
basically have peace of mind knowing that they're leaving the ship and that they're going to just go back to Russia and the Americans are rescuing them. And um, so the Americans pull all these people off of the ship and they are you know, taken to, back to the United States before they are flown back to Russia. And as they are taken through the United States, Tom Clancy goes on this little bit of a, a I would call it the, the How Great America Is tour for all of these, um, they're not prisoners of war, but these Russian submarine crew members who are waiting to get sent back to Russia. And he, they're driving around and all of, and it basically in the book, all of the Russians are sitting there amazed that one Americans have, you know, Americans have so many cars and Americans are driving around and that Americans, they, they take them through a middle-class section of Washington DC and they say, this is what working families own. And you know, all of the American, they talk about computers and how even working class Americans can afford computers and um, you know, how working class Americans have multiple cars and have, um, I can't remember what else it was, but it was, there's, they basically take them through kind of like this highlight reel of, you know, here's everything that America has that Russia doesn't because Russia's communism or Russian is communist and the United States is capitalist. And the entire time, all of the Russians are just in awe over everything that the United States has. And that was a part of the book that I was like, okay, like it makes you almost kind of feel like you are, again, regardless of your political views, because there are people out there who are like, man, that's, that gets too political for me. You know, I mean, there are a lot of people who basically just hate America nowadays. And I, I don't understand it because I think America is, you know, the single greatest country that's ever existed. And, but I do think that one thing that, that regardless of your political views, while reading the book, it kind of transports you back into kind of that Cold War, 19, early 1980s feeling of American pride and kind of that communism versus um, capitalism and East, you know, Eastern European or versus, you know, kind of that Western ideal system. Um, and not so much in kind of ideals, but more in feeling, if that makes sense. Like I, you could almost feel the amount of, again, amount of patriotic or like the amount of patriotism that went into writing those last three chapters of the book that you could see that, Back then, people really did believe in the American system and believe in what what America stood for and kind of the the American dream and stood for and everything that you know working class Americans you know could accomplish and that you know the low and middle class was you know significantly better off than anywhere else in the world and that was kind of that feeling that came across at the end of the book that I I loved honestly and it's not again just because. I'm a patriotic person, but it's because it kind of took you back a little bit in time to a time when people really did believe that. I feel like America nowadays has been a little bit disenfranchised with that. And, you know, there are a lot of Americans who don't believe that nowadays, don't believe in the American dream, don't believe that we are better off here in the United States than anywhere else in the world. You know, people who don't believe in the kind of the unbelievable wealth that even the lower and middle class Americans have in comparison to the rest of the world. And then there are a lot of people that aren't even 
aren't remotely proud of the United States and everything that we've been able to accomplish and all of the, um, you know, all of the, I would say abundance that is given to all of the citizens of the United States. And it was a little bit refreshing to read a book that really was that patriotic. And again, just has that, I don't know, that good versus evil kind of just black and white perspective of, you know, communism versus capitalism at the very end of the book, I thought was really, I don't know, it was a breath of fresh air for everything that goes on in the world nowadays. And I thought that it really kind of transported you back in time to a time when it really was that easy, when the majority of the United States truly, truly did believe that it was the greatest land on earth. And I think that that resonated with a lot of people who read this book back then. And that's probably why it sold so many copies. Again, it's not the most well-written book. The characters aren't the most developed. However, it was an insanely popular book. It sold millions and millions and tens of millions of copies of this book. And I think that that is why. If I had to boil it down to, you know, what, why I thought this book was so successful, it was because of the, 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 the pride that you got as an American at the end of this book, when you had these Russians who just were so excited to become Americans and didn't even know what to expect. I mean, at the very end, you have these defectors who are asking questions. And at one point, the, um, the captain of the Red October asks him, you know, what, what is going to be the biggest change for me? um, coming to America or what is, what is going to be the thing that's going to shock me the most. And I can't believe, I can't remember if it's Jack Ryan or one of the other submarine operators. Um, but he says grocery stores, the amount of food and the availability of food in grocery stores is going, and the, yeah, the, your ability to, to eat whatever you want is going to shock you. And again, this is just, I don't think you'd find a book like that nowadays. I don't think you'd find a book that just so blatantly says how blessed we are as Americans to be living here compared to anywhere else in the world. I mean, that's essentially what this book said at the, at the very end of the book. The book was like, you are beyond blessed to have defected to America because your life is going to be so absurdly different. You're going to have computers, you're going to have cars, you're going to have, you know, a place to live. And even... Like the, the thing that's going to blow your mind the most is we have whatever, I mean, we have food. And, and I think that, again, there are other great countries in this world. I mean, I've been to a lot of countries around the world and, and there are a lot of great countries in this world, but there is nothing like, there's le- nothing like the United States um, and just the overall, I would say, export of culture, export of goods, export of technology, export of research, everything happens here in the United States. Um, and it's something to be proud of. And you can feel that reading this book. And that's what made the book fun for me. And if there was anything that I really, really enjoyed about the book, it was the last three to four chapters of the book where that is really played up. And it was the very beginning of the book. So the very beginning of the book, there was a lot of kind of history as to why the defectors were disenfranchised with Russia found that very interesting. The very end of the book was kind of that, that 
nice little bow at the, at the end of the book about how great America is and how much you're going to love America and why America's why America's number one. And that was the most fun part of the book. So those were the two best parts of the book. And they were truly, I would say, enjoyable. A lot of the middle stuff, very technical. If you like marine and, you know, naval warfare, you'll really like that middle section of the book. But even if you don't, the end and the beginning of the book were very enjoyable. And I think that that's what that's why the book was so successful. The last three to four chapters of the book is why the book was so successful, in my opinion. Without those chapters, I think the book probably would have flopped. Um, I don't think the majority of Americans, especially back in you know the early 80s, had remotely a, a deep enough understanding. I mean, this was I mean pre-internet, so you couldn't even go in there and start researching different, you know, different naval warfare systems and different submarine classes and different ship classes and, and anything like that. So I don't think that the majority of Americans had a, a deep enough understanding of those things. But what the majority of Americans did have was that, that kind of that patriotism. And that's what this book kind of ignited in them and what made this book so successful in my opinion. So, um, really, really liked that part of the book. And so while, reading and so again if you are somebody who doesn't doesn't have that or maybe somebody who like i don't know somebody who wants to just learn more about the cold war i think that this was a good book and i keep trying to i've said this on a couple different podcasts and i've chosen quite a few different russia books this year because i'm trying to learn more about russian history i'm trying to learn more about um about the Cold War in general this year as part of the Bookly podcast because of how big of an impact that it had on us. Um, it is, I don't know, it's, it's crazy to think of kind of all of the, the things that happened during the Cold War and how much, how little, I guess it's taught in public schools um, or at least how little it was taught to me because I was going through and doing research after this book just to learn a little bit more about the cold war. And just because after reading this book, it really does, again, it ignites a feeling of, of patriotism and, and everything. So you're like, man, I want to learn more about the cold war. So I did. And I, and I wanted to share a couple of things that I found interesting about the cold war. Um, to wrap this up because the cold war was a crazy time. And so to think that this book was kind of too far fetched, I would say not at all. If anything, this book was right on the nose of like just plausible enough and just fantastic enough to really engage an audience. But also you can, the entire time you can be like, yeah, I could see this happening. And I think a lot of people who read this book right when it came out in the early 80s, early to mid 80s, probably thought like, holy cow, is this a true story? Because of everything that had happened kind of in that Cold War era, people were, people were on the edge of their toes. I mean, they were, I mean, constantly worried about the nuclear threat, but also there was just a lot of craziness going on in the world that this story just kind of blended in as kind of that that bridge between fiction and nonfiction. And I think, again, that probably led to some of the success of this book. So a couple stories that maybe have seen may seem a little bit fictional, but
but actually were true. And again, give credit to, um, you know, how well this book was written and kind of blending those lines. Um, in kind of the early Soviet Union day or mid Soviet Union days. So 1960s, the, uh, United States used to fly U2 spy planes over Russia and they used to just take pictures of Russia. Um, and they would, they were spy planes, so they didn't, they weren't able to be detected. And then eventually Russia shot one of them down and the United States was like, that's not a spy plane. That's a, that's a, uh, a weather plane from a weather enthusiast that had just, you know, gotten lost and you shot him down and they tried to play it off. Like, why'd you shoot down our weather plane? And they were all mad. And then the Russians were like, Hey, um, we also captured your pilot and a lot of your ship. And it was a spy plane. And the Russian and America was like, yeah, we, uh, yeah, we've been spying on you for a while. Sorry. Sorry about that. Um, so pretty crazy again, it was just a weird time where we were doing all sorts of crazy things. Um, in 1983, so two years before this book even came out, only two years before this book came out, there was a passenger plane flying from um, New York to Seoul, and it stopped off in Anchorage, Alaska, which is where I'm from. So shout out to Anchorage. Um, but on the flight from Anchorage to Seoul, the flight kind of veered off course just a little bit and flew into Soviet airspace and Russia just shot it down, uh, killed 200 and almost or 269 people and then went to go survey the crash, realized that it wasn't a spy plane and that it was a civilian plane and they just cleaned it up. And then when the, uh, the U S asked about it, they were like, we haven't seen your plane. And then the like international committee for, you know, figuring out plane crashes, went to go survey it. And Russia was like, I have no idea where that plane is. We've never seen it before. And then after the Soviet Union um, fell apart, uh, nearly 10 years later, they were like, oh, by the way, we shot down your airplane and killed everybody on there. So again, there was just like kind of this heightened tension where, you know, both sides were just about ready to do anything they could to gain that, like that leg up on each other. Um, I mean, there were operations going on in kind of NATO areas that were, you know, they had clandestine counter Soviet special forces groups that, you know, basically patrolled all of Europe, um, because they were worried about Russia invading. And then Russia had like these, they called it the Ryan program where they would, you know, practice and prepare for the United States starting another world war by, you know, launching the first missile and or the first nuclear missile into Russia and how they would react. And so both sides just kind of constantly felt like the other one was just about to make that move. Um, and it was, it was a crazy time. I mean, there was, I thought this story was crazy, but in 1952, um, the Soviet union gifted a carved wooden plaque of the great seal of the United States to the U S ambassador in Moscow and in the plaque was a listening device and they had just bugged the, the, uh, emboss the ambassador to Moscow. And that was in the ambassador's office for seven years. So they were just constantly spying on each other. And I think that like, because of that and because of all of this like craziness going on between the United States and Russia, this book came out and it, it felt, I mean, again, it felt 
it felt realistic. Like it felt like it could have actually happened. Um, you know, during the cold war, just some other crazy facts, the, uh, the United States and or Russia, um, attempt, attempted coups, insurrections, or proxy wars in the following countries, Tibet, Iraq, Cuba, Bolivia, Uganda, Argentina, Pakistan, Afghanistan, Iran, Central African Republic, Turkey, Malaya, Laos, Cambodia, Ethiopia, Lebanon, El Salvador, Vietnam, uh, Dominican Republic, Grenada, Panama, um, and Korea. So I know that a lot of, I mean, it's talked about quite a bit nowadays between kind of like the proxy war of Ukraine between, you know, Russia and the United States and the amount of money that we're sending to the Ukraine to fight this proxy war with Russia. But I mean, during the cold war days, I mean, that's, that's insane. That's an insane amount of kind of proxy wars, coups, insurrections that were directly in consequence of the United States and Russia trying to basically maneuver pawns back and forth among each other to gain that kind of slight edge over one another because they were both just so worried of kind of that nuclear destruction that would come from one person having that leg up. I mean, I think that's probably, I mean, that there were, I mean, there's so many examples throughout history. I mean, the, the space race is another great example. Um, you know, the, that Russia being the first people to put a man in space and then, you know, almost immediately after the United States trying to get people to the moon. And it's just that constant battle over some sort of supremacy. And it was a, I mean, I mean, it was probably, again, I, I wasn't there, I wasn't alive, but I could see how this, this time in history would probably be pretty scary to live in. One, you've got kind of this giant question mark with nuclear bomb. Um, like nobody really understands the, the impact of the nuclear kind of nuclear powers emerging throughout the world and kind of the, and everybody kind of felt like kind of nuclear conflict was inevitable. And then on top of that, you just had all of this secrecy and spying and back and forth going on. And it just, I don't know, this book kind of helps you feel that. It, it kind of brings you back to a point in history, a time in history when, you know, you can, you can kind of feel those tensions between the United States and Russia. You can feel kind of that, that constant back and forth and espionage. And there's, you know, many points in the book where there are you know, there are spies and there are, you know, double agents and there's leaked information and, you know, both sides of the coin are trying to get the leg up on each other and, and locate this, the submarine, the Red October. And, and it was just, it was neat. Um, that's what I will say. As far as entertaining, um, all right, so I'm going to go ahead and rank this book. As far as entertaining goes, I would say this book was probably a three. Um, the beginning of the book, the end of the book were for me were fives. The middle of the book is what really dragged. And the middle of the book, I would say is probably like a one and a half, two. And it's really unfortunate that the middle of the book is kind of drags as, as long as it does. Um, and so because of that, it's probably on average a three for entertainment. However, for importance, I'm going to give it a four and a half for importance. And the reason why I'm giving it a four and a half is all of the reasons that I listed before, which is it transports you back in time to a very significant period of American history. 
Um, you know, the, the Cold War, I think, gets glossed over quite a bit in history classes because of, this is going to sound really bad, but I don't think it has kind of the shock value that a lot of the other war, wars in history have. Um, you know, with, you know, World War One and World War Two, you have, you know, just unbelievable amounts of death and kind of the, the just overall just horrific nature of those wars. Same with the Civil War. The Civil War was, you know, absolutely horrific, but also has, you know, pretty significant consequences for us as a nation. Obviously, the Revolutionary War has very significant consequences for us as a nation. However, the Cold War didn't have, in my opinion, a lot of easily recognizable um, what consequences. Um, you know, for somebody who's not really digging into it, it probably didn't change. It didn't have just, you know, we fought a war and now we have independence kind of consequences or we fought a war and now, you know, slavery is ended kind of consequences, but, but rather the cold war had a lot of like, I don't know, psychological consequences, I would say. Um, and it's kind of hard to study that in, you know, middle school, high school, and I'd never studied history in college, but I would imagine that, you know, a, a generic history degree or something like that, it, it's probably a little bit harder to study some of those, you know, cause and effects and, and everything like that um, through the Cold War. However, I do think that it's an important time in U.S. history that does get glossed over pretty easily because it's a time in history that, I don't know, changed a lot about warfare. It changed a lot about... I mean, again, it's the first, I guess, war we could call it post, um, post the creation of the nuclear bomb. And so it changed, the nuclear bomb changed everything about how we fight wars and, you know, how the, what direct conflict looks like and, and the reason behind not being in direct, direct conflict and kind of all of these proxy wars and the amount of money that gets funneled into additional countries and kind of trying to move pawns around the world. Um, you know, that's all a direct consequence of the cold war. And so I feel like a book like this is important because it puts you as the reader into a time when, when that's, that's what was going on around you and, you know, kind of puts you into that, that us versus them mentality. It puts you into that kind of secretive and spy and high stakes consequences for, you know, minimal, I, I would high stakes consequences for like minimal operations, you know, taking over one sub and getting, you know, seven defectors from Russia seems pretty minimal in comparison to, you know, the battle at Normandy. However, the consequences for the cold war for something like that is pretty significant. And so it's just, it's interesting to see kind of those those aspects of the Cold War play out in a fiction story, and that's what I would say. That's why I would say that it was it was that it is an important book, and that would be kind of what I pulled from this book personally, and what made this book overall pretty enjoyable. So, um, again, I think the Cold War and just our relationship with Russia um, and our relationship with communism in general is probably an important relationship to study as Americans. And it's definitely something that I plan on studying more as the bookly podcast continues. I've got a couple more Russia books coming up. I know that I think next month or the month after I've got the Gulag archipelago, um, coming up, which is about, um, Soviet work 
um, Soviet work camps. Um, and so that one should be re- pretty interesting, but yeah, if anything, I felt like the, the, the bookly podcast has given me a little bit more of a, an understanding and appreciation for kind of this U S Russia conflict, um, throughout history. And this book was kind of slid right into that and I did enjoy it, but if you have absolutely no interest in it, it's not going to be an exciting story. It's not a riveting story that will capture anybody and everybody, regardless of who you are. It's got to be somebody who kind of is already into that or it wants to wants to learn more about it. Or somebody who just absolutely loves kind of naval warfare. Then this book is just absurdly detailed and you'll 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 find tons to love about it. So um, so yeah, so that is the hunt for red October. And for those of you who are still listening to the podcast, thank you for, for listening. Thank you for supporting the podcast. Please make sure that you like comment and subscribe to this video. Please comment if you can. I think the comment, the comments help more than anything. And I'm trying to get a little bit more, you know, question and answers on the YouTube page. So if you've got a second, you know, write, write in a question or, you know, write in a comment, let us know how we can improve the bookly podcast. And if you are listening on Apple or Spotify, make sure that you leave us a five-star review. That really does help. We are excited to continue to read with you guys. So I think next week's book is the obstacles, the way, um, and I should be having a new guest on for that one. If schedule's still aligned, we're still trying to find a day to record it. Um, she is a local kind of business entrepreneur here in Idaho Falls. And I'm really excited to talk with her about this book. Um, we're just trying to iron out the date. So hopefully she'll be able to make it for that one because I think it's going to be very interesting. And then we also have... Um, I have a special episode of the podcast that I want to release. I read a different, I read a book, um, zero to one, um, Josh, who's been a guest on the podcast previously said that I should read it. He said it was one of his favorite books of all time. I don't know. We'll discuss it, but that episode should be recorded probably next week and then released either the week following. Um, it'll just be released on a random probably Thursday or Friday, um, as a bonus episode. And so just keep an eye out for that. And if you are interested in being a guest on the podcast, we do have everything set up now to be remote guests. So if you'd like to read a book with me and talk about it, I'd love to have you on the podcast. And if you know anybody who would be an interesting guest for any specific topic, let me know. Um, I also do bonus episodes. So if anybody wants to choose a book that's not on my list, I will read that on top of my normal schedule. And we can release an episode on just a random day um, as a bonus episode. So let me know if there's a book that you want to read. More than happy to read that with you and look forward to, uh, yeah, keeping things going here at the Bookly Podcast. Thanks for listening.